Speak Easy Studios. Speak and be heard. Yo, this is Stephen Lee. And I'm Frank Jackson. And we are the Distinguished Critics. We're here to break down some of our favorite albums and songs and debate what's overrated, underrated, and everything in between. So join us as we go back and relive some of music's most iconic projects. Give us a listen wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and give us those five stars. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of This or That. I'm Stephen Lee, as always, joined by Frank Jackson, and today we are going to be discussing two sophomore albums from two hip-hop heavyweights. That's right, we're talking about DMX's Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, and Jay-Z's In My Lifetime, Volume 1. Frank, how you doing today, sir? Good, man. Ready to get into it. Um, DMX, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, released on December 22nd, 1998. Jay-Z's In My Lifetime, Volume 1, released on November 4th, 1997. So both of these albums came out roughly within a year of each other, but could not be uh, more opposite. You got Jay, who has always been more of the smooth, hustler, slick wordplay type of MC, whereas DMX, who emerged in 1998, at least nationally, kind of brought it back to the streets when hip-hop was in a real pop type of phase with the Diana Ross samples and all of the 80s and 70s classics being flipped by Bad Boy. DMX was able to pull uh, really the roots of hip-hop and kind of bring it back there on a commercial level. So, uh, I mean, where were you? I mean, let me rephrase it. When was the first time you remember hearing both of these projects? Well, X is just someone that, uh, so I have an older cousin who was like a, a DMX fanatic, you know, from like day one. Uh, I was exposed to DMX uh, before Jay-Z. So X, I mean, most of, most of my life, you know, really like I heard this album since I was, you know, before 10 years old, you know, I had, I heard this pretty much when it came out. Um, as far as Jay, I got into Jay-Z a lot more uh, come probably early high school years. I started to, you know, care a little bit more about Jay-Z and go back, uh, listen to his earlier catalog. But uh, to your point, this was this was kind of an awkward time in hip-hop, right? Uh, we had just lost uh, Big and Pac, and the game needed someone badly. And then, you know, even when... Big was here. It was really only two things, right? You had either the flashy, uh, glossy appeal of bad boy, shiny suits, and, you know, like you said, the Diana Ross samples. And the, and then on, on the other end of that spectrum, you had Death Row and everything that they were, right? Which was Your just hard, hardcore, hardcore to the street type thing. G-Funk, gangster rap, traditional. Correct. Yeah. So there was a void. Now there was a void, and uh, sort of in between the time when Big passed, Big passed in 97, uh, in between the time when Big passed and when uh, DMX dropped, there was kind of nobody who took over at, at all. At like least in Jay, New York. Including right, Jay. Right. Jay didn't really take over anything. It was just a void there left for, for somebody to kind of kind of hop in and take it and. These two slotted into very different spots, but uh, blew up to 
you know, that same level of, even right. though uh, early on, uh, you could say it was even more so for X. X dropped two albums that went number one in the same year, uh, six months apart. Yeah. So, you know the story behind that, by the way? Uh, about him being offered the bonus yeah, to it was, drop it, yeah. Basically like, hey, if you can record another album by the fourth quarter of 98, because his debut came out in May of 98, mm-hmm. I think it was he was incentivized, like, I don't know if it was two, three million dollars, whatever it may be. Uh, but yeah, he went in there. These are not leftover tracks from yep. It's Dark and Hell is Hot or anything that he had been sitting on. Because even on It's Dark and Hell is Hot, you have a song, uh, a single rather, like Get At Me Dog. And yep. a lot of those rhymes, like, if you go back and you research DMX now, like he had dropped these in various freestyles, actually kind of going at Tupac before. But like we had heard this material, some of it before. Which used to be common in hip hop. Right. Somebody would drop something and then when they actually release their album, it could be literally two or three years later, you have. You'd find that verse that on somewhere. There. Like yeah. Nas dropping halftime. You know, two years before I, on, Illmatic I think on came like the out. Jungle Fever soundtrack yeah, or something. It was one, before, one of those soundtracks. Years right. before. And it, yeah, that used to be common. Yeah, so he pumped this album out. Really, I think in like two or three weeks, he went and recorded it. Uh, Swiss Beats handles 60% of the production right. here. Like, he's definitely sliding into that role as like Rough Riders. Uh, main in-house producer right. obviously you have like um damon grease and, right. and people like that but swizz was kind of planting his flag with like dmx's brand and these two are kind of a package deal and jay you know to your point earlier jay was in a weird spot where he drops his debut in uh the summer of 96 reasonable doubt we're right. talking about and a lot of people love to go with the revisionist history that Jay has always kind of been this this commercial monster and always Mm -hmm. been viewed in that upper echelon. When Reasonable Doubt came out, uh, it took a while for that to even push gold. He wasn't touching Biggie's numbers. He wasn't touching Pac's numbers, certainly. He was kind of just like, oh, okay, this guy's nice. Let's be honest. He was was just a guy. He was just a guy. He He had potential. Right. He was more of like, if you had like your favorite rapper's favorite rapper discussion back then, people would be like, yo, Jay is nice. But just commercially, it wasn't moving like that. And after he dropped that project with Priority Records, that was supposed to be the only album. That yep. was like the one Jay-Z album he was going to focus on Rockefeller with Damon Biggs and kind of just make this more of a, a a label thing and they'll sign new acts. Obviously, they later did that with like Beanie Siegel right. and, and, you know, State Property and mm-hmm. all them. But that was Jay's vision. So when Big dies in March of 97... You really do have this gap, like you said, where it's kind of like, all right, Nas is dicking around with this firm project, and it it wasn't good, right? Right. At least in terms of expectations. Absolutely not. And Jay felt like, okay, I'm going to step up here and kind of um, claim the throne of New York City. Which uh, I'm glad you say that because one thing that people noticed in real time, and, you know, if you you do some research on it, you'll see – Jay kind of uh, his his I guess you could call it a slip up in a way though understandable. Uh, Jay really was pushing that kind of hard after after Big Pass. He was kind of like the people have to elect you to have that king, king of New York crown. He yeah. was strongly kind of trying to throw himself as that. Yeah, and it felt forced and people felt that at the time which was i would say jay's kind of only misstep in his whole thing but again it's understandable right because back then hip-hop in new york was everything if you were big in new york you were big 
Anywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Right? So to be the king of New York meant to be the king of hip-hop. And so Jay pushed very strongly for for that role, which obviously the problems with him and Nas, that was one of the main things that was at the center of it, which was, you know, Nas is like, you're the king since when. And on this album, you he can throws, hear, he, throws he was always shots. a fan. Yeah. He was always a fan of Nas, and you could tell based on – I mean, he's, he sampled Nas a lot, right. like not even as, as some sort of insult type thing. Like he really was just a fan of Nas. You got to keep in mind, Nas had success long before Jay did. Well, at this at this time, Nas is, you know, still kind of riding off. It was written, his sophomore right. album, and that went triple platinum. Right. You know, so if anybody were to be a king of New York, so to speak. It would have been Nas. Even though, uh, you know, a lot of people, not to get too far off subject, a lot of people um, didn't really like it was written at the time. I feel at like first, they felt right. it went a little too commercial with the track masters mm-hmm. and if I ruled the world and all that. Um, but, yeah, Jay did kind of step into this and, kind of put the crown on his own head. He, right. he wasn't anointed by the people, so to speak, or the hip-hop purists. You could see that he had talent, but again, on this album, you know, he had a single, The City Is Mine, and he even says that. He's like, you know, on the low, shh, The City Is Mine. Right. And, and you know, to any other New York MC, and there were plenty of formidable ones around that time, it is kind of like, all right, my antenna's up here. This guy's assuming, just because Biggie was his man, that he's going to step into this spot and just be that. And in retrospect, one of the best things he could have done, right? Like, I'm glad he tried to force that. It brought out the hunger of a lot of people. It made it made the competition I think that it much brought stronger. out the hunger in Jay. It did. Oh, it absolutely brought out the hunger in Jay because if you're gonna if you're gonna put that crown on yourself, well, now you gotta go prove it. And right. I'm glad he he recognized that. You know, like if I'm gonna claim to be this. I actually have to go be this. So and, uh, you want to go ahead and start with this album then? I mean, we're already yeah, kind of we, getting yeah. into the makings of it. So, again, yeah, Reasonable Doubt supposed to be the one-album deal. It's on Priority Records. He actually inks a deal with Def Jam in 1997, um, and Rockefeller will be housed there. They'll be under the Def Jam umbrella. Now, keep in mind, Def Jam in late 97 is not the Def Jam that you would think of in the early 2000s or in the 80s no, or, or anything close to that. They had hit a, a real, real rut. Um, I believe Warren G was like their biggest selling artist a few years before. They yep, were struggling. He was so Jay obviously with Big's passing and having inked this deal says, okay, well I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start putting out some some albums here and I'm gonna push this King of New York thing subtly in some cases and overtly in others. And that's what we're getting with In My Lifetime Volume One. So what I mean in researching this project for today's discussion. Like what are your what are your main takeaways from this album? So this was uh this was Jay's he in more than one way tried to force things, right? There was one way that we just spoke of where, you know, he was kind of putting that crown on himself. The other way that he was forcing things was this is before Jay developed himself into that natural hit maker. Mm-hmm. And this album had a handful of songs on it that were very pop like and very very objectively just not good. Right. Like they, they were just not good and didn't really mesh with the rest of the album. Right. It's almost like every three or four songs he would throw one of these sort of pop anthems on there and say like that's the one that's going to be... This is the one where he's reaching for radio play. Right. right. This is the I want this to be the crossover success song. And, you know, 
I think he went over on those. I don't, I don't, it didn't feel natural, which is crazy to say, right? Because in hindsight, I mean, look at Jay-Z's career. He's made hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. But not everyone, almost no one, starts off with that ability. Right. We're talking about very few people. Like, Big was one. Big kind of quickly was just able to do that. There's very few people. Even who, Pac did it in unconventional ways. Yes. He did Pac it from did a it, way where, it, it, like. The, but it wasn't like pop hits. It was like, this shit is just so different and real. Right. And. Brenda's got a baby. Keep exactly. Up and all exactly. Stuff like Brenda's got a baby. It wasn't like a pop hit, but it's like, oh, nobody's doing this. Right. This is, you know, some sort of mixture of like Chuck D and KRS and Cube and all these different artists who are super conscious, but. That's what made his turn into into those hits because it spoke to a different level within yeah. people, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It was speaking to that ugly shit that nobody talks about. But when you're talking about the pop stuff, it's hard. It's not, you know, obviously, it's not easy to make like a, a crossover hip-hop pop hit. And Jay was trying hard on he his album to do it. He was reaching so hard. It, it, like, I'm glad you mentioned that it feels a little disjointed because that's exactly what it is. Right. I think for every, like... I mean, there are songs on this album, Where You From, Streets Is Watching, Friend or Foe 98, oh, Imaginary yes. Player, that, I mean, honestly, you could kind of hold up against any of Jay's songs in any time period and say, no, this, Jay, is he's on one here. He's firing on all cylinders. But for every, like, two of those songs, the sandwiched, like, puffy handprints all over it, Teddy Riley type of feel um, would find its way in the album. I mean, it's only 14 songs, but there are at least three or four that come to mind where it's like, man, you are, you're forcing this, you know, always be my sunshine. And, um, I know what girls like, I know what girls like might be the worst Jay-Z single I've ever heard. I mean, I like, I like show me what you got more than this. And if you see the videos for these songs too, I mean, it's, Dude, he's got, like, lime green suits on, and you got the Rubik's Cube disco dance floor, and it's like, bro, you would think he was on Bad Boy. And obviously, he's cool with them. He showed up on Mace's album yeah. and Puffy's uh, album. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, he he tried to... It, no, you can't truly, be the king of New York and slide yourself into that. It was truly awful. Uh, I, the, the only one, the best of those, I would say, is is probably The City Is Mine. Right. And because that one didn't feel so much like... To me, there's a difference between kind of... Uh, I'm. I'm trying to make a pop hit and I just have a song and an R&B group is doing a chorus on it. Yeah. That's not the, quite the Black same Street, thing to right? me. That was Blackstreet. Yeah. That's not some of his best work, but it's also not. It's not a horrible so, song. It's not horrible. But again, it's it's a chorus that Blackstreet's singing that's lifted from like an 80s pop record. Yes. And it still doesn't sound like it's not a horrible record. Like, again, uh, it's I know still what in the category like, of force. But it's it doesn't it doesn't feel as seamless as what he was able to do later on or really just a year later with you know hard knock life and big pimping and all these records right after that yeah right after that he took he the nailed game over, it right yeah he nailed it um now on this same album you juxtapose those uh you know let's be honest uh terrible songs with imaginary players with streets is watching friend or foe i in my opinion the two songs that that in this album, Where I'm From and You Must Love Me, that is putting on display what Jay's true talent and ability really is. Like, Jay is, you know, one of 
I don't care how you want to do it, one of the five or one of the ten, or it really depends on what I mean, he's era. In the, he's in that that stratosphere, that category. Whatever your list of, like, greatest are, of just being able to put together uh, a rhyme structure with the content and the flow and make it all feel so effortless. Right. I would say he's probably the best at that after Big. I think Big is the best ever at that of just this feels so effortless. It's, it feels like almost it's like, like water. Free, like freestylish almost yeah, where it's kind of like flow, he, it's, it's, free it's so flowing. breezy. And Wayne mastered that later on, but certainly Jay and Big were like the first, at least in my opinion, that were Great. able to do that. Now, I know some of – you know, the older listeners might look at like a slick Rick. Oh, of course. Or, they might even know, look at a cane, a big daddy cane. Something or like that him. in terms of painting the picture. But like Jay-Z did it with like a feel that he it's all off the top of the dome. And obviously we know he doesn't write his material. So I think that leans into that as well. But um, this album, I think if you had stripped it down to like 11 or 12 songs, or maybe replace one of those singles. I think you're looking at like a top three Jay Z album, and at least at least sniffing that. At I mean, he's borderline. got he's even Jay has never been known for like the introspective cuts. Like obviously, years later, four four four, he he dove into right. the whole personal uh, expedition and all that. But uh, he has never been. I'm gonna bear my soul on a record. But even even. This album has at least like two of those for me. Like Lucky Me, I feel like is very smooth and he's kind of kind of opening up a little bit and then um You Must Love you Me must is, love is me. the other one. Which even for You Must Love Me uh you know, it was that thing that, you know, let's be honest, most rappers do. Uh they're telling somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, right? Because this is just it's for the 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 art form. And it's it's for the voiceless, right? right? To have their stories told uh on a on a wide scale so i don't know if i would even call that introspective so much as it's his view of what's happening around him what he grew up with and he's telling stories from what he grew up with but to your point he's never really been so much that guy jay talks about himself a lot on records right but it's never quite letting you in right just more yeah yeah yeah. it's just more you know, this is what I do is, you know, he's talking himself up and he's really good at, He's you know, probably the best of all time in that regard. At that, right? At yeah. Just literally kind of, Jay could kind of tell these other artists, like, I'm better than you on a song and they'll still be like, I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because, like, he's so, he's so good at it. And like you said, probably the best ever at just talking himself up. But it's not like he's letting you in that much. Uh, And, yeah, 444 was probably... Not even probably. I would say it's the first time where we really got like a Peek extended look inside. Yeah. It, it took him growing up quite a bit, right? But yeah, those two songs I would say are the closest thing to that, where he uh he really is in in a Jay Z is a poet, but he's not always his thing isn't quite street poet. Those are on on this album. Those songs are that's street poetry, right? Like. This is me with a ground level view of what's happening. This is Marcy. This is you're, well. You're talking. Everything you're talking about this particular album. Yes, on, yeah, the, on yeah, this yeah, album, yeah. he still he still had that type of feel to his records before he right. was uh, the forty forty club and the conglomerate right. that he was bragging about. Yeah. So, I would say um, 
this this album is is disjointed, but from your perspective, does the good outweigh the bad? Because this is really a case of uh kind of two extremes, right? Because my God, sunshine is one extreme. Yeah. And on the other hand, you must love me where I'm from. Or even like uh who you wit, where it's like the that to me, if he was gonna go with like the bouncy, like jiggy style of ninety eight, mm-hmm. like that's it. It's not I know what girls like. It's like do a record right. like who you wit. Like that's more of like where you're not quite forcing it and it still comes across as like an effortless kind of single that you can bob your head to. And even if it's a miss to me, it's not like that is just like cartoonish. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. What was your question though? It was more or less like does the it, what does the good does the good on this album outweigh those misses, right. those those swings and misses that he took on here? I'm gonna say emphatically yes. It personally, and I'm I am like you to where like. I didn't get into Jay in high school. It was a little bit before that. I would say it was probably around middle school when he's dropping uh, Blueprint, Blueprint Two, the Black album. But just and going then back, I'm and like at that point, the singles I loved. But even then, I, right. I wasn't diving in right. to high school. Yeah, and and just going back and revisiting his catalog, and and now you know having twenty years of listening to him consistently and having dove through every one of his projects. I definitely think the good outweighs the bad on this. I, I think that this album, when people talk about Jay's classics, like your Blueprint, Reasonable Doubt, the Black Album, it's not quite there, but I personally still have it as a top five Jay-Z album. I, I'd probably fall somewhere between four and six, or four, four and five, I'd say, because 444 is up there. That's a project that I really liked. But In My Lifetime, Volume 1 isn't, uh, I do think it's better than Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. That's the one where he was able to sell 5 million albums and really put him on the map. But I think a closer listen would show that there's a lot of gems on this album, and it kind of went overlooked because of how bad those singles were. You know, we talked about the King of New York thing earlier, and um, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're a hip-hop head to some extent, so you know about Jay's beef with uh, Mob Deep and really Prodigy in particular, a lot of that kind of started on this album too. I mean, he has a line where he says, you know, I'm from uh, you and your mans uh, rap about every verse in your rhymes, you know, because t- on the infamous Prodigy had a line about jetting through Marcy. And Prodigy even came back years later and said, hey, you know, I heard that and that kind of started some tension. Um, Jay, Jay is the master. Him and Big are the master at taking pot shots at you and you're sitting there wondering, was that about me? Was that was he taking a <laughs> shot there? <laughs> yeah, they are. And they are. and he did that kind of yeah. all throughout the album. And even though he sampled Nas again, we're not talking about dead presidents. We're talking about right. rap game, crack game. Right. He's still kind of taking shots at Nas too. Yeah. While in the same breath, again on this project, paying homage, paying homage, homage yeah. to him. You know who's the best MCs? Biggie, Jay Z, and Nas. But he's he's kind of putting his chest out there enough to see if anybody will bite. And again, I look at this album and I think that you have. 10, 8 to 10 incredible records and and just a few that are so far on the opposite end that it might dilute the project to some, but I, I, I love it. So I would I would say to some extent uh, it saves the album that so, really some of his best work is on this album. Um, and I will say he needed those misses on this album, right? Because... 
how do you know what to do next What works time? versus what doesn't. Yeah. Exactly, right? It's trial and error. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if those songs had worked, we might have had a much lazier Jay-Z who was like, oh, I could just do this shit. We could ride out the Mace formula. We'll just take, yeah, yeah. We'll just take yeah. this uh, sample. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to go get a R&B singing chick up in here. Yeah. And boom, we just pump out a whole album of this shit, and then here you go. There it is. Eat it up. Yeah. Five million albums. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, this only sold a million copies. So, right. like, a lot of people associate Jay with, you know, he's quintuple platinum. He sold three on this, four mm-hmm. on another. Again, it did better than Reasonable Doubt, but it did not put him to most. Well, and in retrospect, I mean, it's, it's laughable to even com- compare the two because it's not. A Reasonable Doubt is, is more. And this is this is why I feel this way. I'm not certain that it saves the album, reason being, I don't like to, it's simple. I don't like to have to hit the skip button too many times. Right. I feel like You every, want it to flow, especially at 14 songs. You it, should be right. able to pop that in and just That's let it thing. ride. If you from, have 14 songs and, and four of them, I'm like, what is this shit? I, it it weighs like, heavier. It does. Um, it's a great album. It's not, um, it's not touching the category of classic to me. Okay. But. There's numerous classic Jay Z songs. If you're making a greatest hits album, exactly. like you have to throw I'm some put of these at least three or the four album of these cuts. songs on there. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I think you said it best. I, I wouldn't call it a classic. I think it's a precursor to some of the classics Absolutely. that he was able to drop years later. Again, trial and error, figuring out what works and what doesn't. I would put this probably in the. Uh, hall of very good category where I think it's super slept on. And I think that a lot of people should go back and revisit this uh, for reasons mentioned, 100%. but I can't say because again, 14 songs and you got four of them, four or five of them where you're like, uh, no, I'm good on that. I can't put it in the category as a reasonable doubt or even a, the blueprint. Agreed. Uh, so is there a, a, a song on here that most resonated with you? Uh, resonated. I mean, I guess it really depends on what you're looking for in a Jay-Z album. Like, again, you're not getting a Tupac-level message from any of these songs, um, but one that stands out to me that I'll just always love is Where You From. It's that dark, grimy, uh, New York feel. It doesn't sound dated. I mean, he's every verse is just Jay-Z in his peak form. I thought it was one of the better ways to end the album that and you must love me um but it's hard for me to even pick between that and like imaginary player because i think that's jay-z at like his smoothest so i would say my two favorite cuts from the album are probably uh, imaginary player and uh where are you from i 100 percent agree that uh on imaginary players that's when you have jay just put it on display that like effortless kind of buoyancy that he has on records, um, I think. I think you must love me is probably my my favorite. Of, I mean, it's one of my favorite Jade songs. Just period. Period. Yeah. Uh, because it, I mean, it's just so real. And again, like it's that's kind of a rare thing, that you get from, from Jay Z. Uh, for better or worse, you know what you're gonna get from Jay. And this was a step outside of that to you. This but was it, very much a step yeah, outside. This it was, still worked. That was the closest thing I say to something that Pac would have made or Nas would have made or or somebody else, not Jay Z. Right. Right. It was 
it was really that that kind of ugly look into the other side of things. You know, like a lot of this shit gets glamorized, right? Oh, Jay does a lot of that a throughout lot of this that. album and really his entire career. So right? giving you the flip side is a, a change of They'll give of you that kind of Tony Montana side of like, yeah, I'm out here with the cars. I got the luxury, whatever. You know, like all of that, all of that flashy shit, all of what, you know, the money brings in. Uh, but Jay doesn't do a lot of talking about that other side. Like I had to sell crack to my mom type shit. Yeah. And on this album, it offers know, a glimpse, a glimpse into the other shit. Right. right. So uh, I would say that's probably my, my favorite track on this album. OK. You want to move to over to uh, DMX? Absolutely. Let's do it. Flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. Again, as we touched on at the top of the show, this was his second album of 1998. And it, it can't be overstated um, just how important DMX was for hip hop and, and really even remains that I think that. For the first time since Pac's demise, you had a lot of rappers still pushing the gangster rap. I mean, West Side Connection was still heavy on that. Obviously, No Limit was blowing up at the time. But uh, DMX, again, New York was viewed as the Mecca at that time. A lot of people are probably screaming right now, it's still the Mecca. What are you talking about? But, I mean, it really was. Like, you, you had to go wrong. to – if Funk Flex was playing your record, you were, you were on to something. And – for DMX to come out the way he did, the gravelly voice, the 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 raw emotion, and he's still making really big records. He put it together for a, a classic debut album, and it's dark and hell is hot. Like I, again, it can't be overstated just how important he was to the game, and for Def Jam, right? Yeah, he saved Def Jam. He saved. Yeah, I'm that, glad you that mentioned label. That. Um, X came at the perfect time, and it wasn't quite uh, planned. That he was going to bring it back like that is more than they could have ever imagined, right? Um, X was another one who filled a void at a kind of an awkward time because, you know, sure, Jay-Z was starting to bubble more, um, but, but he Jay, was filling Jay, more. Yeah, Jay didn't save Def Jam no, with the album that we no, were just talking about. That's for not, sure. Right? So I'm, I am glad you mentioned And that. if anything, he was going to be stepping into sort of that big and puff. Uh, side of things right not as like the the gangster dude x was a far cry from that right. x was like it felt like he was rapping with a razor blade in his mouth yeah like he was really that like and a, a pitbull in the studio pitbull right yeah. next to him right like x was just hardcore direct to the street he was something that you know, like you said, there was there was you know the gangster music out there still, but New York needed that DMX. guy. Yeah, they needed New York they needed, needed that the, guy. The raw, the gritty, like the I'm like he's gonna pull up on the block type of MC. And he's bringing it from from somewhere. Him and the locks are bringing it from somewhere that you know people knew about Brooklyn. They knew about Queens and y'all. This is Yonkers. Yeah, this is a place nobody even heard of. Yeah, it's this is a place it, nobody even heard of. Yeah, as somebody that uh, had to stay in Yonkers when I first moved to New York, it is not New York City, and that's yeah. no knock on Yo, <laughs> but it's like when you imagine New York City, Yo is north of that, and it is it's just not the same. Right. Um, and I mean they they're bringing real hardcore street music uh, like all the way back, right? And so like we talked about. So this is X's second album, and usually that means like, oh, somebody made something, uh, went back to the lab a couple years later, dropped something else. This was X's second album in six months. Yeah. And 
They both hit number one. They were both smashes. And it has to be stated, X put so much, uh, like, expectations on himself, no pun intended, I guess, um, that he <laughs> he didn't want to put less tracks on this follow-up than he had on the first album because he felt like he would be cutting the people short. So he released two lengthy albums yeah. in in a in a year, within a year span, really within a half a year span. This had 16 tracks on it. The first one had 19, but yeah. who's going to complain about 16, right? Like right. It's, it had less than the first one, but he was really out here pumping out. And like you said, these were original tracks. This isn't like recycled uh, shit like, oh, I just had or, this. Yeah. I had this, you know, this was on the cutting room floor. A quick cash label grab where maybe they're issuing like a bunch of B-sides or stuff that never left the studio. Yeah, exactly. this, this album was, oh, okay, you want me to, and he was so hot at the time, and yeah. I feel like because DMX was, you know, he was in unsigned hype in the source back in like 91, early, 92. Very early 90s. So the fact that it took him, you know, seven years to get mm-hmm. to this point, it's like, okay. I'm he, glad you said that. This was in the making for you right. know he had been working towards this for a long right, time right right so like him going back to do this second album he had he still had all that same natural energy like okay i'm not going to half ass this if you're giving me this money to do this project i'm going to make it one of the best in my entire catalog and um a lot of it does feel like it's dark and hell is hot a lot of it doesn't to me, right? Because I, I feel like on It's Dark and Hell is Hot, you had a little bit more of, like, production-wise, at least, that gritty classic New York sound, and DMX was, um, I don't want to say reserved, but it was a little bit more subdued by flesh on my flesh, blood on my blood, and he's, you know, bellies out, and he's, I mean, there's no bigger artist than DMX at this point. Yeah. It was, it was, he's going to marry himself with the Swiss Beats production. I'm, Swiss, again, handled, like, 60% of the beats on this album. But he's the intensity is at least in my opinion stepped up a notch, right? And uh, you know, with with Swiss doing, you know, the majority of this project, you know, his production is just more uh, bouncy, which is it's it's funny. It's a funny contrast to uh, X's subject matter, right? It doesn't feel like, it, you know. What X's content is feels like it should have some sort of like horrorcore. Uh, like synthy type of production to it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And uh, there's a little bit of that on one song here, or maybe one or two songs. Here. Yes, there's a very little bit of it. Um, but for but it worked, right? Even though Swizz had this uh, production style that didn't quite, in my estimation, match what X was talking about on these songs and how he delivered it. Um, it's still found a way to mesh, although I will stay for the record right now. I've never been a fan of Swiss, and I I do not. I'm just not a fan of his production. I You know, I get it. Uh, salute. He's considered uh, somewhat he of a, a producing he, legend he in that rap legend game. by definition, but, yeah, let's address the elephant in the room. Like, I would say I'm 80%, 80% of Swiss Beats production I'm just not fucking with. And that's, you know, you know, people might not like that. I'm sure uh, New York people certainly won't, but... It is what it is, right? Not everything's for everybody. Uh, I I can't help but feel like um, if X did have, a, it's hard, right? Because on some of these songs, they wouldn't be what they were if they didn't have uh, Swiss's production. I feel like a lot of them, though, if they had some a different type of production, might have been better. I feel like DMX's catalog as a whole 
Um, and again, Swizz has produced some huge hits for X, but like Massive. when you're getting deeper into this album again, it is 16 songs. I think the album tops out at, you know over an hour. Um, a lot of it just sounds dated to me. And you know, maybe back in late '98, early '99, it was fresh. I don't think I would have liked it then. I certainly am not the biggest fan of it now. I think what anchors this album is purely DMX and the features that he was able to secure, you know, from the locks and from Jay-Z, even Mary J. Blige showing up. Um, but I would say Swizz's involvement, or at least contribution, rather, to this project is kind of what holds it back a little bit for me in terms of being that bonafide. It's a footnote to me. Right. It's a footnote. And that's this is to X's credit. X carried the hell out of this album like it it almost didn't matter what beat you put on it because he's so good right and the locks are so good that to was just have, a perfect it was a perfect to have connection jada and styles as people that are just like oh yeah i got these dudes too like we're talking about these are three of the best mcs of all time just like hey we blew in from yonkers real quick and, you know, like it's this is it's, the and, rough, and it's I, I'd be remiss that I now. mentioned Sheik as well. Like yeah. I don't want to be disrespectful. Uh, Sheik held a lot of those songs yes. down. I don't want to. I don't want to say the locks and not mention him. I think where Sheik just real quick. I think where Sheik kind of gets um, not discussed as much is just he never put out like the solo records or right. never had like the scene stealing guest verse on maybe somebody else's project right. the way Styles or Jada were able to do. Right. Uh. So you know, as as we get into the album, uh. One thing that that I will say is it does, and in part because it is mostly produced by the same person, this album does feel cohesive. There are a couple of songs that I feel like maybe um, don't quite fit sonically, but content-wise, hmm. okay. content-wise, what he's saying, like the the subject matter throughout this album it's all this is all x really giving you i i was i'll say this even though this isn't my favorite dmx album this is the most dmx album that there is if that makes sense like this is this is the things he's talking about and the the way he let you in because he did he he really let you into to his Psyche, mind state yeah. his brain his surroundings Struggles, everything he came up with um he exposed all of himself on this album. And, you know, X was an interesting cat because he really was like that grimy dude that people didn't want it with. But nobody talked about like love more than DMX did. Nobody was really out here praying right. on albums the way X, X was such a, a, a nuanced, complicated dude, man, on so many different levels. And wasn't nobody really out here saying shit like you know, dudes had this kind of thing about them where it's like, man, I ain't gonna talk about loving no dude. Like, man, X ain't have no problem with that. Like, X is on this album talking about, like, if you love me, I love you type shit. Yeah, like, it, you yeah, know, yeah. talking about his homies. Like, it's, it's that kind of thing. And then even if you if you look at, obviously now, unfortunately, rest in peace, X, there's a, a lot of things, you know, where people who, who knew him best uh, will talk about him and how he was. And that's something that was really big for X. Like, he That's showed how he it on was his, in his personal life, and he yeah. showed it on his records, yeah. right? Like, love was something that was huge to him, huge to him, and that loyalty and love from, and he he had no problem bearing his soul. That I would say more than any rapper I can think of in the history of the game. That 
more than Pac, more than right. anyone. I think X bared his soul more than any MC that there's ever been. I agree, and I think that uh, even you mentioning Pac, it's like when DMX came out with these projects in 98, I do think people looked at that vulnerability, and it reminded a lot of people of what Tupac was able to give you. But to mm -hmm. take it a step further, I, I would agree with that. I think that in terms of just being so naturally comfortable with who you are, including your weaknesses and your struggles and bearing all of that. It like, there is no one greater at that than DMX. And it made you feel like you knew him or you could relate to something that he went through. You don't have to be the, the hardest cat from Yonkers or anything to really uh, relate to a lot of what DMX is saying. It should be, you know, known that um, if you haven't listened to this project and you're going into it, expecting a rough riders anthem or a What's My Name, or a Party Up, or a Who We Be. This is the album that doesn't really have any of those monster singles. The main single on this album is Slippin', and personally, it's my favorite. It might even be my, it's my favorite DMX single. I say that confidently. We it might get even that be my, now, agree. It might even be my favorite DMX song of all time. In stark contrast to what we were just talking about with Jay, and how he's not that really introspective until the 444 album. You want to talk about introspective. Slipping is like, oh, I'm going to let you know it all. Like, he, the dude really sat there and had a therapy session right. on a piece of paper. And all of that kind of, X let you in on everything. Like, you know, this is this is all the pain. This is like and why, a lot of why and he had a lot of it. And this is. This is where all of it came from. This is, he didn't, he even on that song, you know, talked about the, the drug problem, you know, like yeah. they edited X wasn't, the, the, yeah, they, the they version, didn't block it, but they blocked it. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that because even if you were to buy the explicit version of this LP, Slippin' is an edited song. And I think that this probably went over a lot of people's heads back in the nineties. Obviously we found out about his addiction struggles in the mm -hmm. early to mid two thousands. But he has a line where he's like, I hit rock bottom. People are like, damn, look at how that rock got him. I yeah. mean, he's really opening up. And I think that, I don't know if he intended to do this, but what's so brilliant about that record and it being on this album too is he had so much momentum and so much hype based on the first project that maybe he felt like he didn't need one of those big-time Rough Rider anthems and said, okay, this is going to sell no matter what. We're in the fourth quarter of the year. This is when people buy albums. I'm the hottest rapper in the game. I could put out a single like this and show my versatility, and people are still going to buy it. You know, the album sold three million records. So Right. And, uh, you know, it's it, it really is just one of those things where he was, he was riding a wave, a, a crazy wave that nobody could have saw coming, not him, not Dev Jam. If anybody, it would have been him, but, I mean, he's been – honest about that like not even he did right nobody could have really saw it coming and to the point of what we were talking about before people who kind of immediately are making like just know how to make a hit x on his first album on it's dark and hell i mean that's rough riders anthem you still hear that shit today every like stadium you, every yeah they're gonna play it that's i mean x came out the gate with, with some that. hits yeah already yeah and on this album, I, I do think, to your point, that probably made him a little bit more comfortable. Like, okay, I got that out of the way. They know I can do that now. Correct. Right? 
They know that I can be a, a multi-platinum And I'll artist. even give them a few when we go in to record the next project. But right. for this one, he has a lot of hard shit, but to push this as the single, I think it was huge. What are some of the, um, I guess, the highs uh, on this album for you? Well, for one, I, let's let's just say this is a a fairly lengthy album. Um, with that, there's going to come the ups and downs. There's a wider variance of of quality in the songs. I will say for this album to be 16 songs, there's really not that many like misses. Like I think that like clear cut like we were talking about with Jay exactly. where it's like, "Oh man, X didn't really feel like he had that in him at I, least in terms I'm of reaching." I'm skipping much on this album and that's not by the way I, I do think it needs to be stated just on kind of odd. He featured Marilyn Manson on this album and it didn't sound bad at all, right? Like it was just kind of X was such a dark. Um, I love that record, by the way. I'm glad you brought that right. up. Because he, he was such a dark dude that he said, oh, well, let me go get. The Mr. Controversy himself exactly. at the time. I mean, a lot of people probably don't Marilyn even know. Marilyn Manson's yeah. so dark. Yeah. I mean, with that song, X loves um, keeping continuity with his projects. And even though this was only a second album, you could see certain trends that he was going to carry on with his subsequent albums. Um, obviously, like the Damien and the Omen series. This is... Uh, and for those that don't know, if you haven't heard any of these DMX songs, this is almost, you know, the devil on the shoulder telling yeah. X, hey, do this, do this, do this. And X, you know, going back and forth with himself trying to fight that. I think that this is my favorite and the best version of all of those songs that he ended up doing. I agree with that. And what makes it so real is that it is so real, is that, you know, there's been artists who, you know, they can sort of create a theme or a character like that, and it's just a cool concept. This was X literally... His duality, and you could feel that. This was that. Right. Like, he, that's what makes it so real, and that's why, you know, we say, like, X is the most introspective artist to me that there's ever been because he really is letting you know 100%, like, this is the shit that goes on in my head. I am constantly fighting with those two sides of me because you talk about contrast like yeah x had those problems he had the drug problems he got in legal trouble before as he, a result the right. things that you know happened before he ever blew up that he talked about right where he was out there getting it he was living a certain lifestyle but the other side of that dude that you know anybody who ever knew him would tell you like nobody loved harder than him right. nobody had sort of a better Just go watch any soul. one of his interviews and you exactly can see like he he always maintained through it all um, this kind of childlike innocence, and he always had this light about him that, you know, no matter how dark it got, and it did get extremely dark, he always had this light about him, right? So that's what makes these songs like The Omen and that series so so real. Is like, this shit isn't just some made-up character. It's like, no, this is what I'm feeling. I'm right. putting it on paper. He wrote right? that from a place of, like, I'm leaning this way or exactly. that way, and it could go either way. On any given day, right? Um, so as far as, as far as some of my favorite tracks, uh, on the album go, uh, obviously the Omen, uh, slipping, I enjoy blackout quite a bit. I oh, mean, that's I love that these, song, man. these two songs are not, I'm sorry, not two songs, but two artists, Jay-Z's on that. And you can hear really the, the best of both of the people we're talking about on the same song right here. Um, X and J a few times have shown you that, right? So that's a Swiss Beats record that I 
thoroughly enjoy, by the Absolutely. way. Like, that's one of those ones where I feel like he got that bounce, and it doesn't sound um, supremely outdated to me. It's one of those ones you could throw on right now, and you're still going to bob your head because everybody's coming through. Uh, Ain't No Way is another one that I, you know, I... I've, this album to me is just so I can I can front to back listen to this album right. and I feel like it's a it's like a it's like a audio book you know like I'm not really gonna skip anything because I just want to hear all of it right he has so much hear to what he say. has to say right uh, what about for you um, yeah I love blackout uh, slipping obviously um, obviously we discussed the omen. One of my favorite songs, and I did want to bring this up because uh, there's some interesting nuggets within it, is We Don't Give a Fuck, featuring Styles P and Jadakiss. And what I find interesting about this song, hey, I love it. I think it's a great record. Um, it's produced by Irv Gotti, okay? Irv Gotti, I think more than anyone, and X has said as much, was probably the most instrumental in him getting a deal at Def Jam. He was an A&R. He was the A&R, the and he fought hard to get X signed to the label, and then X took off running. But around this time, this remember, this is late 98, Irv's protege is Ja Rule, who comes out, and a lot of people are like, oh, man, they heard DMX, and they're like, they're just ushering out the next one. Yep. And to be honest, for a lot of people, it was at that. First, and I, at first, it was I don't have I don't have a gripe with anybody complaining that he was an X knockoff at that time but going back to the song we don't give a fuck um i find it interesting because dmx and ja were close they had done records together we're in the early stages of them attempting to form the murder inc rap group which is jay-z dmx and ja rule and a lot of people think murder inc you think of ashanti and the ja hits Mm -hmm. but this was supposed to be a hip-hop trio super group Mm -hmm. um that was going to do what the firm could not um, but DMX being as and cool would have for the record would have DMX being as cool as he was with Ja, disses him on this song and had no problem problem admitting it years later. Mm-hmm. Used to be my dog, he was in my left titty. Scream, ride or die. Thought you would ride with me, and you know, I find it so funny that X had felt that way the whole time and didn't really wait until you know Ja had dropped four albums to really start a beef with him. Yeah, but the song the song is hard. I love Bring Your Whole Crew. I think that that's uh. A good like, it's not the Rough Riders anthem, but I do think it's an upbeat track that you could definitely throw on when you're in the gym. Again, X's lyricism through all throughout is uh, feels like poignant. a song that that New Yorkers can fight to. Yeah, I literally I hear some shit like that, and I'm I'm just picturing them like stomp you, know, you out with my Tim's and, and <laughs> dusty ass Tim's just yeah. meeting up in some alleyway, beating the hell out of each other, and then going to get dinner somewhere or something. I'm glad that you mentioned that it feels like a cohesive project because I do agree. Uh, I'll go on record to say that this is probably my favorite DMX album for that reason. I feel like you can play, even though, you know, we have qualms about Swizz's production. It is one of those albums where it's 16 songs. Most of them are close to four or five minutes, um, but you can kind of just let it ride all the way through. And I don't know if he has another project that's quite like that. So... Uh, really, I just enjoyed the whole album. I, I would say that this is probably my favorite DMX album. Uh, I I got it at number two. Um, you know, it's dark and hell is hot. Um, I his first three albums to me are all great. Like is you know X just went on a crazy run right out the gate. Uh, his his step onto the scene 
may have not been quite as hard as Snoop and 50, but it's just that level right the up tier under it. tier right beneath it. Yeah. Right up under it. Very few people have touched that tier even, right? So um, between... Yeah, let's get let's let's put them head to head then, because it, I mean, from what we're you know what we've been talking about, it sounds like we both really love elements of both projects. Mm-hmm. There are things that we um, don't particularly like with each one, and uh, I mean, so let's start with flow. I mean, in terms of again, not as MCs, we're talking these two projects. Who would you give the edge to between X on Flesh of My Flesh and J on Volume One? If we're talking about the artist flow. Then that uh, Jay wins that kind of easily, and not no disrespect to to X. That's just because Jay is beating to me anyone not named Big when it comes to just on this particular like album that. though. Yeah, I yeah. mean he because he, he displayed it right on on the highs of this album. It's like oh shit, that right there. there if he could is. do that more often, right? Yeah. Which he eventually did. Um, if you're talking about the way the album flows. I'm giving that to X. Even though Swiss's production is not my favorite, I think that X did such a great job just elevating some of those tracks and having everything feel so cohesive. Yeah, tightly um, knit. It really did feel like he was just writing a book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but between the two, it's kind of it's kind of hard to compare because I would say on in my lifetime there's a lot of this, right? Up and down, the roller coaster. But that up goes way up, right? And that down goes way down, right? It's literally some of the best he ever made and some of the worst he ever made. I agree. For X, it's a little bit more even keeled throughout. I was super even, steady. I would say it's a very steady ride, right? There's not a lot of turbulence, and it's some of the best he ever made. Not to mention, if you get into other people being on the album. I mean, we're not really going to beat the locks being on the and just bringing in like, hey, let me bring Marilyn Manson in here and the shit sounds perfect, right? right? Like, to me, uh, to me, I'm going to have to say flesh of my flesh is is edging out in my lifetime. Slight Even if edge. it's not reaching those highs, man, I can feel different on any given day. The way I feel right now is not that close. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to disagree, man. I think uh, volume one, it's just the highs are so high. And um, be fully transparent, I think Jay, I, I like Jay more than X just as a rapper. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not any knock on X. I mean, we're talking about Jay Z. That's not a crazy thing. To um, but to me, the volume one, it was just like, whoa, okay. There were so many records that I find myself, the replay value with this album is kind of what separates the two. And this is the reason I'm going with volume one. I think that the production, even though, you know, the singles are what they are, DJ Premier and, and you know, the people that contributed to this project, it gives it more, uh, it's, it's aged better to me than a lot of the Swiss sounds. And I'm not putting all of that on X and saying that, Oh, I only like this because Swiss Beats production is not my cup of tea. No, it's more or less just like if I go, what do I find myself going back and listening to more often? And for me, it's easily volume one, you know. But again, I, I have this, this is my favorite DMX album. It's just, I don't know if uh, if any of X's projects ever truly surpassed like the highs of J's to me. I agree with that. I, I would say this is the, uh, this is the, highest level of a 
J album that X can be for me. Okay. Like, that's about where it where it is right there. So even though it's an apples and oranges comparison in terms of their approach to each project. Very different. X's catalog, the best of his, it, it's going to go up with like J's second level. tier. And then yeah. and it'll edge out your volume ones yeah. or four 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 whatever you have there the black if album. If we get in, well, yeah, because once we once we get into you know blueprint or even reasonable doubt, like it's hard, man. It's, it's hard I mean, to put I mean, any it's it, not, for me. It's hard to X's put any. Best isn't isn't really touching that, but it's so it's also so different. Yeah, it's also just entirely different. It depends what you're looking for, you know. Uh, but I, I I do give the edge to flesh of my flesh. All right, Frank is rolling with DMX. I am rolling with Jigga on this episode. Please let me know what you guys think, and uh, we'll be sure to be back with another episode next week. See ya. Thanks for giving us a listen. Give us your feedback and let us know how you really feel. Subscribe, rate, review, and we'll see you next week.